Dave D'Agostino, as always, with a little catchy intro music, and uh, we appreciate that as always. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Forsaro with uh, my co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. And, you know, when Dave came up with the name Real Voices of the Game, he really hit the nail on the head because our guest today is a real voice of the game, someone who's kind of done it all, and yet you know, has kind of been under the radar because of the roles he has. It's Rob Leary, current uh, pro scout with the Arizona Diamondbacks, former big league coach. Um, Rob, at one point, was the second best player on his high school team. We'll talk about that. Uh, went to LSU, and, um, you know, he, he's just got a great background. I've known Rob a long time for when he was the bench coach at the with the Miami Marlins. And he's done a little bit of everything. But before we bring Rob in for what should be another great, great show, let's bring in Dave D'Agostino with some announcements. Hey, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And, and we had some great conversation before the show with Rob. I think we had a we get a record of that. And that would have been a great podcast for our listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, our audience is going to really enjoy Rob, really engaging, full of knowledge, uh, a, free, a free thinker in the game and understands all sides. But, but before that, I just want to thank our Almost 15,600 subscribers to date, uh, from grassroots all the way to major league front offices. 71 countries right now we're touching. Um, and I, I have to verify this. I think we hit 72. We, we, I think we got our first listener from Israel since we had Ryan Lavarnway on last week. He was the catcher on the on Israel's World Baseball Classic team, former minor league, uh, major league catcher, I should say. But to our audience, reminders, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. Uh, whatever your favorite streaming apparatus is, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure you engage us on social media. You can find Joe and his either his name, Joe Frazero, or Man on Second. Uh, he's on all the major platforms. And you can engage the show itself, the, the production itself, man, uh, Real Voice of the Game, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I answer one question a day live. Today's question was about when I was a, when I was a college coach and I used to allow people into my practices, my 5.30 a.m. practices I used to have crowds for and all the reasons why I thought that was good and uh, how I handle that nowadays with, with parents and coaches nowadays. So uh, I'll engage everybody. I have 200 plus questions to get back to people sometime today. We'll get back to everybody, but keep keep pumping those questions out. We love it. We love your engagement. So with that, Joe, I'll turn it back over to you. Oh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of going catcher heavy, but that is fine. A couple of weeks ago, we had Brian Schneider on the podcast. And uh, like like Dave said the other day, uh, you know, Ryan Lavarnier was was on uh, his podcast. And, and now we're bringing in a former catcher in Rob Leary. Quick little background on Rob. Um, currently, he's a... Diamondback scout. It's been there about six, seven, maybe eight years. For that, uh, Marlins bench coach from 2013 to 15. He's been, a, you know, the Cleveland Indians now Guardians field coordinator back in the day. He was a long time with the Red Sox from 2002 to 2011. He was back in the old Florida Marlin days from 95 to 2001. Uh, did some advanced scouting then. As noted, he went to LSU where he was a catcher against Bo Jackson when Bo was at Auburn. We're going to talk a little bit about some Bo Jackson stories. And as I noted earlier, second best player on Sarah High School when he was there. The reason is because Barry Bonds was his teammate. And and for those uh, that may not know, Sarah, uh, high school in California, Tom Brady, Lynn Swan, the great Jim Fergosi, and many, many more went there. But before we go, dive back into that, we're going to bring in Rob Leary. Rob, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks so much, Joe and David. It's a pleasure to be talking with you guys and be a part of this uh be a part of the show and and just to continue to grow the game and in a great and positive way for like you said David grassroots all the way through the major leagues uh really a pleasure to be on today yeah and you know one of Dave's uh, catchphrases is we're raising the baseball IQs of our audience and and in our process for you know for myself and I know Dave and and anyone and that's the beauty of baseball Rob right because you never really know it all because you're always learning new things and seeing new things. And we saw something last night. I know it's, you know, it happened a little history. I've covered the Marlins since uh, 2002, you know, kind of religiously. And Rob, like I said, coached there. And never before did something happen last night that, that finally did. Luis Arise, the great hitter, 
hit for the cycle. We had never seen a cycle in Marlins history. Um, just kind of expound on that, you know, um, Rob, and just how hard that is. And we we saw some Marlins players we thought could do that, but, you know, like a Christian Yelich, among others, Yelich, of course, hit cycles, went to Milwaukee. But just talk about that feed, and, and when did you catch when what Arise was doing? No, I think it's I, I, it's an amazing feat for for Arise and and all the other guys that have done it, and it it amazes me that nobody had done it previously because there were some great players, you know, offensive players that had speed. Uh, shoot, we saw Kevin Millar back in the day with an inside the park home run, which is somewhat <laughs> of a miracle with his lack of speed, but. Um, you know, it, it really is because as you as you knock each one off the list, as you, as you go through those check marks, it, it only gets tougher because everybody knows you're getting closer. You know, obviously the triple and triples probably, you know, the, the least amount um, of the of the four that happen, you know, in a game or even in a season. Um but it, it it's a great feat, and and like like I said, everyone in the ballpark knows. Both dugouts know. The player, obviously, I I could only imagine what they go through in their minds at you know in between those those next couple innings, waiting for that next at bat. So it's it's a great feat. But we're also talking about a really good player. I mean, uh, I actually had to scout him a few years back, and when he was just breaking in and. Um, he, he amazed me. His bat to ball is really good. Uh, you know, the, the plate discipline and all those things. He, he's really off to a great start in, in, in what is a young career right now. So, I mean, hats off to him. That was, that was a great feat last night. But like I said, it's it, it amazes me that one, you know, that it hadn't been done before in that organization with the, with the success they've had and the really good players that have gone gone through that system. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've seen, I think I've covered in person six no-hitters. Uh, I saw Mike Lowell and Cody Ross's three home run games, which were, you know, individual feats. You know, I saw Mike Lowell pull off a hidden ball trick twice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you see things like that. Then you start thinking about, you know, when I started covering the team in 02, you had the, obviously, the Juan Pierre's kid hit triples, went on home runs. But but the, the amount of good players they had that on those teams that could have done it all, Hanley Ramirez was a guy I thought for sure would do it, you know, because he had a lot of triples as well. JT Real Muto hit a lot of triples. Um, right. But, you know, I remember Josh Willingham one time was his last at bat a single away. And he was the guy that, you know, doesn't have the speed for the triple. He couldn't do it. And Arise, the way it set up for him last night, he needed the single in his last at bat. And that's you know, like, I think he was second in the majors and singles. And so that was the, the easy one for him. He just poked a nice line drive. But what I also liked, Rob, was all were clean hits. It wasn't like a, you know, rolled over a little, you know, excuse me hit. Now the home run is a, was a Philly homer. It just, you know, went into the, the plant, yeah. you know, back there, but, but it also went oppo and, you know, that's probably a good, a good field for, for a guy like that to do it. So yeah, hats off again to Luis Arise, special moment. Um, let the, you know, Rob, as we kind of get into a little bit, what, what you do to kind of last week, we had Tim McDonald, the great, great scout amateur side with the Rockies, formerly with the Marlins. He talked a lot about the amateur side and the, the kids that are high school, college. Uh, let's tell people a little bit about the pro side, what you do. Obviously you guys are in the minor league parks. Uh, you're you're basically scouting the players who are in systems and playing pro ball. Just give a little overview for our listeners that may not fully understand the role of a of a pro side scout. Yeah, so so basically, we get our assignment from uh, from our uh, pro scout director Jason Parks and and his assistant Corey Hahn. They they uh, they give assignments. We have I believe we have fourteen guys that are. Uh, just pro scouts. So just seeing everywhere from rookie ball to triple A. And then obviously we have major league assignments uh, throughout the season as well in spring training. But uh, I'll, I'll go through my assignment this year is, is scouting the nationals from triple A down to rookie ball. And then I have eight other triple A teams. So th- that's my assignment. What we basically do, we're, we're evaluating all of the skills of all these players, uh, so that tool set that they each that they each have, pitchers and position players, obviously, um, and more more than that, you know, we we have a great understanding of all the analytics. Uh, David and I were talking a little bit about that, you know, before the show, 
what I think what I think we do very well is we've got a very healthy blend of analytics and uh, you know eyes on the players, you know scouts in the seats. But uh, to go along with the evaluating those skills, it's evaluating the 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 actual player as well. You know, we're out there early in the day watching their early work, uh, early defensive work, uh, pitchers, uh, fielding practices, guys that are working on pickoff moves. Uh, they might be running a team fundamental, a bunt defense. So we're watching everything that we have access to. Uh, we're watching everything that these guys do throughout th- these minor league players and even major leagues when we're in those stadiums. But we're, we're watching these minor league guys and evaluating everything. Uh, all the, you know, the, the winning characteristics we hope to see, the, the, you know, the way they carry themselves, uh, body language, all those things that go into uh, what, what makes that player. And, and uh, so we grade all those skills. And then uh, we also have what we call makeup, on the field makeup and off the field makeup. And th- those, to me, the on the field's much easier than the off the field because we just don't have great access to the player. However, with with contacts and, you know, we make contacts throughout the game, whether it's scouts, coaches, uh, different players that we know from from uh, one way or another. Um, so that 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 makeup off the field is is a huge one because you can see the kids' skills, um, and, and we watch them for five, six games uh, through a series, and, and may have to go back later in the season for for an additional look. But we we want to know uh, what this player is all about. So if we don't have access makeup wise to to or have someone that's going to give us a good honest assessment uh, of what, of what the player is, then we, then we have to go all on what we see. So watching the way a guy carries himself and handles himself while he's working out, uh, doing, doing that early work, how he interacts with teammates and coaches in, in their, the coaching staff and the instructors and manager and all, um, you know, one thing that we talk, we talk a lot about is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of failures in our game, especially for a hitter. If he's the best, he's making seven out of 10 outs and, uh, in all these things. Um, but how, how a player deals with the failures in the game, the pitcher that's having, you know, that's had two rough starts and how does he work in between those starts? But the, the other thing I think that gets lost at times is how players deal with the successes. Uh, do they get satisfied? Are they not on the field for early work the next day after having a big night, uh, uh, you know, in the batter's box or even on defense or those types of things? So that's kind of we're basically evaluating each human being that's that's on that minor league roster. And those are the things that determine the final grade and in, in how we uh, how we see them fitting into our system if we were to make a trade or, or, in, you know, trades and acquisitions, uh, minor league free agents, free agency, waiver claims uh, from other teams. So we want to evaluate how they're going to fit into Arizona Diamondback organization, how they would fit into our, our major league team and culture, um, which, which I believe is, is a great culture in, in, in couldn't be happier being in this organization the way the way it's been run the way uh from the major league side all the way down uh the way the way our guys conduct themselves uh on and off the field it's been it's it's been great uh being a part of this organization uh into my seventh year now um but that's kind of you know a general overview of what what we're actually doing yeah that, that you know Rob, you brought up something that last week when we had Tim McDonald on, he mentioned on the amateur side, talked a lot about is the makeup aspect. And um, obviously it's a little different looking at a high school kid or even a college kid, you know, off the field to someone in pro ball already. Because you're, now your makeup even changes because now you're among, you know, players. Like, you know, you're probably your best player in a high school team, that type of stuff. How are you reacting when you're with people? where everyone's good. You know, you're not playing pro bowl unless you're really, really good. So I think 
for our listeners, especially our young players, uh, notice what, what Rob's saying. Notice these themes, those who aspire to be in the sport. So just, uh, just in, you know, real quickly summarize that, Rob, the, the importance for a young athlete, if you were to talk to a player and say how you're being observed and what, how important that is to present yourself the right way. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a major thing. It, it is, uh, it, it's a separator. Uh, you know, we talk about winning baseball and, uh, you know, everyone wants to be a part of a world series champion championship. So when, when our, I know when our amateur guys are are out watching those high school and college and junior college players all over the world, you know, we're scouting the world. So, you know, you young players out there, excuse me, you have to understand that there is a huge amount of talent all over the world. And, and the Arizona Diamondbacks in in all 30 organizations have eyes on players all over. So being, being a separator, being that, being that kid that, that does the extra work that uh, when he strikes out in a key situation and doesn't drive the guy in from third base, when that pitcher gives up the, the home run to uh, lose a game or what have you, uh, how do you handle that? And you really need to believe in yourself and your skills uh, because we will see how you handle it and how you react to it. And not that you're supposed to be out there smiling on the mound or, or uh, you know, be happy in the dugout after that awful strikeout or whatever, but ha- handling those successes or failures, as well as the successes, is a huge thing. It, it's a separator. If you're supposed to be one of the top, top picks, you could drop in rounds, which from a financial side, that will cost you a lot of money in a draft. Um, and that will also, that'll turn some scouts and some teams, com- they'll, they'll completely flip the switch to off on you. They they will They will not draft you or you're going to slip from a second round pick maybe down to a to the 20th round or a non-drafted free agent status so it's it's vital plus you know being a part of a winning culture uh our our organization wants winning behaviors you know not just the great not just great tool set and not the guy that comes through more often than not in a positive way during the game but you know, we want, we want good winning behaviors by guys that are handling the the failures well and working on weaknesses and uh, uh, all the, all these things with their, with their skill sets, but that handle themselves as a winning person and, and uh, with these winning behaviors, which is, Hey, yeah, I messed up. I, I booted the ball. I struck out. I gave up the home run. I walked three guys tonight in, in two innings or whatever the case may be. Um, that stuff is looked looked upon. And you young guys out there, you, you can bet that, that scouts aren't just watching you when you're in the batter's box or on the mound. They're, they're watching you in the dugout. They're watching you during your workouts and how you how hard you work, how you interact with teammates and, and coaching staffs. Uh, so it's, that's a huge thing. And I, I guess the big word would be separator. If you're the guy that handles themselves well in all these situations, uh, you're going to, we're going to put a, a really nice check mark next to your name. And when you, uh, when you see kids on the other teams that you're playing against with the bad attitudes or, or losing type behaviors, uh, you can be sure we're, we're putting an X next to that name. <laughs> so yeah. the, the makeup is a huge part, um, huge part of our game. Plus, there's a lot of downtime. And how do you handle that downtime? Uh, you know, uh, be it early uh, before you even show up to the ballpark where, you know, we can't see you. But uh, all, all those things go into being what a winning baseball player and a winning person. And that that's who we're looking for, Wh- whether it's the amateur international or the pro scouting departments, we're, we're looking for winning people and winning players. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Great, great insight. Take notes, people. Dave, what you got? Well, I'm taking notes too. It's Rob, your, your messaging is great. Every time you say something, I write a question down and you answer it without me having to ask. And <laughs> I think it's, that's, that's really fluid for our audience. The things that you were, you know, you, I think you gave a great synopsis of what you're looking for and 
what they can do to correct it and, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly with it. How much of, you know, you mentioned you get there early. I think you mentioned you watched, watch batting practice and stuff. How much of that assessment takes place during, before the game? Yeah, that's, it's, it's pretty much daily. Uh, I'm in here in, in Charlotte for five days. So I saw, I saw their early work yesterday and batting practice, but if a game last night's game was at six thirty-five, I think was first pitch, and uh, I got I got to the ballpark at about uh, three fifteen. Uh, there wasn't any early work, but I I saw the you know, couple pitchers through their bullpens, and pitchers came out, or position players and pitchers came out to do the team stretch, and then then they went through uh, you know their infield work and outfield work. Um, so that you know, we're we're there, six thirty game, uh, somewhere around three o'clock. A lot of times earlier. Yeah. Um, Does that mean then, you know? I'm here watching the Charlotte team, but then you know we've got the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp on the other side. So I'm uh, I'm also watching watching them, even though I don't have their team as part of my responsibility. But I'm I'm taking notes on on all, you know, whatever it is, uh, sixty players that are that are out there amongst the two teams um, and directly responsible to report on the Charlotte club. But uh, yeah, we're, we're picking, I'm picking apart different things and, and looking and seeing what's good, bad, and in between with, with all the players and all their, uh, all their workouts. And like I said earlier, the, the interactions of staff to player, player to staff and, and teammate to teammate, which, which I, again, all goes back to, uh, uh, that makeup, all important makeup, but, um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, we're evaluating all the athleticism and everything that these guys are doing on the field. Um, you know, we're taking a look at to see, uh, to see what those, what, what gives, what makes all those numbers and statistics that they, that we see, you know, on their, on their stat sheet and in their stat profiles, uh, we're seeing what, how they how they accumulate that and in the work that goes into uh in into that yeah into you're, play. you're telling the story you're providing the words and the, the context to it when and um i i get on i may be a little old-fashioned with this so please uh my families will the kids that i coach will probably uh, appreciate you and applaud you if you if you let them get away with this but i'm very uh particular about how they look before the game you know i want them you know, in uniform, taking when they're taking BP, um, I watch them to make sure I don't like dialogue going on during batting practice. I like the silence, just focus on your hitting. Um, when you're watching things like that, batting practice and how they're dressed before the game, is that important to you as, as a scout or is that just kind of you're just you're, you're watching some other things? You know, it, it is important to me, but I, I would say in the last <laughs> in the last 10 to 15 years, um, some teams are better than others and some organizations are better than others in the way the players uh, and, and the individuals, it's obviously, it starts with the individual, but if you, uh, if you have, uh, you know, a, a dress code for a team, it's apparent uh, that some teams have stronger dress dress codes than others in regards to, you, you know, uh, workout uniforms. Uh, so we've seen a drastic change. I, you know, I came up with the Montreal Expos and then, uh, as, as a minor league player and then as a, uh, as a minor league manager, then I went to the Florida Marlins. John Bowles was our farm director in both, in, in both of those organizations. And we, we had a strict, uh, strict uniform code, um, you know, I, I, I had a strict uniform code in college at my junior college, uh, uh, a legend out, out in San Mateo, California, John Nochi. Uh, we all had to show three stripes on our socks. We all had to wear this uh, long sleeves. We had to polish our shoes before every practice, let alone every game. All of our shoes had to be black. We had to have our hair cut a certain way. Uh, no facial hair. All, you know, our, uh, anyway, it's it's changed so much in the last 10 to 15 years where there's so much more individualism from that standpoint now i don't think it's a bad thing uh i think now the presentation uh of that uniform has changed i don't personally i don't like it 
But I also, I'm looking at actions now more than the uniform. Although I think it is extremely important, especially uh, in the youth leagues, um, in high school, college and all. I think it's, I, I do think setting a proper foundation in a player's uh, overall uh, persona, I think it's very important to to set a foundation. It obviously starts in the home, but uh, when you're out at practice, whatever sport you're playing, I think you need to present yourself uh, uh, in a in a in a good fashion, and then also with with your work habits and the way you go through your workouts. Uh, that's that's what's vital. But uh, yeah, the uniforms have changed quite a bit, but I, I I'm still a big believer in having some structure. Uh, some direction and and discipline, and I I don't mean discipline that we're making you run laps or that guys get fined. I mean the discipline to stay within team rules and to 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 play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Um, I think those three facets, structure, direction, and discipline, are absolutely vital uh, to to create a winning culture uh, in an organization or within a team. Uh, team concept. So uh, those are things I strongly believe in. You know, the appearance, I, you know, maybe, maybe that's where I am more traditional. I, I don't want to say old school because I'm, you know, maybe a little old, but I'm not that old. But uh, I would say more traditional uh, style is what I favor, but uh, I've accepted, I've adapted. We talked about that earlier, David, for the, before the show. Uh, you know, I've adapted and, and kind of accepted that that's the way it is. However, if I were <laughs> if I were back in a leadership role in the minor leagues, I might uh, I might want to institute uh, a, a little more strict um, uh, appearance code, if you will, uh, than than I see most of the time now. Yeah, no, fair yeah. enough. And just so my players and families that are listening, he agreed with me. He likes the- <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I got your back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, Rob, great, great stuff. Great, great insight and advice for, for all our listeners who are players. And, you know, Rob, you're talking about evolving and, you know, the sport itself's evolving and this pitch is now, I don't know if it's always been there, but now uh, StackCast is referring to it as the sweeper, I guess, the industry. Um, you know, talk a little bit about that pitch right now. I guess it's more of a sweeping slider. It's kind of, you know, I guess it's not really a slurve, but, you know, talk about that and scouting that pitch. And what are you seeing from that, that pitch? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a few of them. Um, uh, and I'm drawing a total blank on uh, Stephen Wilson with, with the Padres. There, there we go. I saw him, him throwing one in, uh, in spring training. I, I, you know, it's, it, I, I guess if it has the right action, like like any breaking ball, you want to see good finish at the end. I, I think that's the that's the thing that separates a good breaking ball from a from a poor one or a below average one. Um, I you know because I haven't seen a lot of them, but we we describe different sliders as sweepy. I've I've used sweepy slider uh, on guys throughout the years. Um, I, I think it is an it can be an effective pitch. Uh, I think uh, because you're looking at more horizontal break, which you'll see when you see the analytic side of it. But just just with the eyes, it could be an effective pitch. I know it would have been effective against me, but uh, you know anything but a fastball was effective <laughs> against me back in the day. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen some some good ones, uh, but. Yeah, I, I I guess because it's kind of a new term, or, or they're calling it a new pitch, but it's it's basically the same you know same slider that we've seen in the past that we just described as sweepy, and now with the analytics showing the horizontal break on these uh, on these pitches, now I guess you know Statcast and and, and these services and, and baseball has decided to make it a different pitch. Um, yeah, which is yeah. fine. It, it's fine for me because now I don't have to say it's it's a sweepy slider. Now I, I can call it a sweeper. Uh, <laughs> now is it a, is it a slow one that just gradually goes across the zone, be it right right handers, left handers? Uh, I think it could be effective as a front door. Which if I'm a right handed pitcher, 
I, I uh, pitch into a right-handed hitter uh, for for a guy that ends up having good control of it. He could start it uh, almost behind the right-hander and sweep it right to the front front uh, yeah. you know the inside corner. But uh, I I think it's an effective pitch. Uh, the finish to me is is like I said with all breaking balls, you you want that ball to have some really good finish and. And to have the the best movement of the pitch uh, as it approaches the you know home plate and the hitting zone. Yeah, let me ask you because uh, we saw the late great Jose Fernandez. Did he throw a sweeper and no one knew it? I think that, that he, he had like a curveball and a slider, but there was always what was he striking out on? All I know is no one could hit it. Yeah. Oh God, he was <laughs> he was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> love love that kid and, uh, but. I, I think what he did, he, he just, cha- he changed the breaks. So I, I would classify some of his sliders were, were sweepy. Uh, so you could probably define them as sweepers. I think that was one of the things that he, he just had such great feel for pitching at, at a young age and, and some great success at a, at a young age at the major league level. But he was able to change. And, and that's what some guys have done purposely throughout their careers is, is being able to change some of the break on, on their curveballs, uh, sliders, uh, and even cutters. Some guys throw a little bigger cutter early, uh, kind of a get over type, type pitch. And then they, with two strikes, um, when they're going for their kill shots, uh, you know, they, they might throw it a little harder or they might, uh, increase the break. Um, you know, going, going for that, going for that strikeout. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would say that some of Jose's sliders were, would be classified as sweepers. Um, uh, but yeah, the, just incredible feel because he was able to change the break uh, on his pitches. Same thing with the curveball. He, he, you know, they change velo- you know, he would change velocity, add and subtract. And that's, that, that helped him, uh, that helped him, uh, you know, with, with effect. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was amazing and, and sorely missed. And, um, yeah. you know, we had the, we had the privilege of, of being around when Jose was, was making his mark. Um, you know, we're going to segue over cause we could talk to Robin so many different top topics. He's very fascinating, but I do want to ask him about high school and, mm-hmm. and being a high school teammate of, of Barry Bonds and what that was that like. And, and, you know, obviously you probably had some other good players on that team as well. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I actually grew up with Barry. I first met him, I think we were about six years old playing what we called Farm League uh, in San Carlos, California. Uh, his dad was obviously playing with the Giants at that time and then uh, several other teams as we were growing up. But uh, yeah, so we played Farm League. That's where we were at. At that time, there was no such thing as T-ball. I don't, I don't even believe, I don't know if T's were invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we we played uh farm league and it was basically coach pitch uh but we were out there and we would wear jeans and then the team had a t-shirt with a number on the back and then the sponsor on the front and a hat so uh that's when i first met barry we we never we we didn't play on the same team all through little league uh, but then we played when we were 13 to 15, we played together in, in the summer league. Um, so I'd known Barry, I've, I've known him my whole life and consider him a very dear friend and, uh, we're still close today. Um, but on, on that high school team, I, as you mentioned, there were so many, you know, you mentioned some of the Sarah high school, uh, uh, alums from our Sarah, I, I believe there's three Sarah high schools in California. Ju- Junipero Sarah founded all the missions up and down the West Coast. Um, so sometimes people get mixed up. They say, oh, yeah, he went to Sarah. I said, well, he went to the other ones <laughs> or one of the other ones. But uh, no, Barry, you know, I, I played uh, baseball and football with him. He he only played two years of football. He played his junior and, or his sophomore and junior. Year. He, he was my one of my favorite uh, weapons because uh, he was so fast, had, had the great hands. And, you know, I'd take a three-step drop and just throw the ball as far as I could as a quarterback and uh, hope, hope that he would run under it. Uh, I, I don't think I ever under, 
or overthrew him. I underthrew underthrew him several times. But uh, so Leary yeah. to Bonds was like Montana to Clark. I mean, what what was that like? It was exact. Uh, more, <laughs> probably Montana to Rice. To Rice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we were just slightly behind them uh, statistically, but. Uh, uh, but no, so he he did play a couple of years of football. He he played basketball for four years, and uh, but uh, on the baseball field, and I would say from, I I'll, I'll forget the farm league years and even little league. But when we started playing on the same team at thirteen, uh, he was always the best talent on the field. I I don't think I, uh, I I don't consider myself a great scout saying that, uh, <laughs> especially for what he had done. But he was just a really really good athlete. And uh, at our high school, uh, same thing. He played center field. Uh, you know, he was actually batting average wise our senior year. I think he was either second or third on the team. Uh, one, one of our teammates still carries the clipping of the final batting average statistics in his wallet at 59 years old. One of, one of our teammates does that. So it's pretty funny. That's awesome. But, uh, no, he was definitely the best best player in the field. In, in our league, um, uh, the West Coast, West Coast, West Coast Catholic League was, uh, was a very highly competitive. We, we didn't win the championship my junior or senior year. And we, we actually had eight guys on my senior year's team played pro ball. Um, and Greg, Greg Jeffries was a freshman at okay. our high school, and he couldn't make the varsity at that time. So it was a really good team, but we didn't even win the championship. Wow! Um, but Barry, you know, he he always he always had a way about him. He was supremely competent, uh, and rightfully so. Um, but he he was he was a lot of fun. He was great, fun to play. You know play uh with uh not fun to play against when i did a, a little bit in summer league uh but uh yeah just a, a great talent uh very confident uh just kind of a, a he he wasn't the guy that you looked at that was just flying all around the field at, at practice or even in the game until he was involved in the play uh, when he was out in center field, he was going to catch everything from pole to pole, <laughs> but, uh, despite having some other good players out there, but, uh, uh, you could just see the talent, uh, that he had all the way around. Uh, obviously he, he could really run. So if he was on first base, he, he was going to be on second in a pitch or two. Uh, when he was on second, he was going to be at third in the next pitch or two. And, uh, for the most part, he was very, very successful on the bases as well, which he showed at the major, you know, major league level as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, the great thing about Barry being on your team is that there were always scouts in the stands. <laughs> you know, <laughs> most games there were anywhere from five to 20, 20 scouts there. So I think, I think myself and our other teammates benefited from that, uh, seeing some other talented players, certainly – not not at his caliber, but uh, some real quality players that that went through that program. Now, am I did I hear this right that you played golf with Barry, Bobby Bonds, and Willie Mays? Uh, that that was it. It was my. <laughs> I mean, obviously, what a what a uh, foursome. Actually, Willie Willie Mays brought a, a fifth out. But okay. yeah, it's funny. I you know Barry and I played a little golf together. Uh, not not a whole lot because I, I I wasn't very good then and I'm I'm only a little better now, but uh, yeah he says I, I called him one day and I said hey let, let's play golf in the next few days or whatever he goes hey yeah I got we got to force him but you you can you can join us tomorrow morning so meet me over in at Half Moon Bay which is beautiful beautiful golf course uh, in uh, in the San Francisco Bay area that uh, he played a lot his dad played a lot Willie did and so many other giants and, and, uh, pro athletes there in the Bay area. But, uh, so I show up, I, I have no idea. I think him and I, and I, I have no idea who the others are. And I, I walk in and to check in and, uh, Barry and his dad walked in, you know, within a couple minutes, they, they didn't drive together, but, uh, so I said, yeah, we're just waiting for a couple other guys. And 
So I'm sitting down and I had known his father forever, um, you know, since we played in that farm league and, and in walks Willie Mays with, with one of his buddies. And I'm just like, Oh my God. I mean, this is great. Bobby and playing with Bobby and, and Barry. And then Willie Mays walks in and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is, you got a story that people can't really top right there, Rob Leary. Yeah. No, I'll I'll tell you, I, I feel blessed to have had, we actually played 36 holes that day. Uh, you know, I, I'd have, I'd have kept going, you know, until the sun (laughs) went down that day. But, uh, it, the the fun about it was the, the great thing about it. Okay, so I was in a, I was in awe a little bit, and I'm just thinking, what's wrong with this picture? There is a <laughs> I'm I'm here with these great you know baseball tremendous baseball players and this and that, and then here here's me you know the the <laughs> grinder blue collar fight for everything you got, and then with these supreme athletes, but. The, the great thing was, is that it, it was like, it was five guys that were friends, you know, we, it was like, I knew Willie Mays for the last 10, 15 years, uh, just a super guy. And uh, Barry being his godson and being close, close to him, those two, it was a rag fest from the first hole to the 36th hole. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely hilarious. Uh you know, those were the pre-cell phone days, which which was probably good. Um, you know, I, I don't think I would have tweeted or or <laughs> sent any of it out, but I would have had a I would have had some ammunition for for all all four <laughs> of my golf partners that day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, uh, obviously Brady went there too, so just uh, and obviously not the same time, but I don't know. Brady's getting he's kind of catching up to you in age. Uh, yeah. you know, just when you just the, the legacy of your your alma mater there. Yeah, you know, Tom and I have we, we have a lot in common. So uh I was a high school catcher for Sarah, he was a high school catcher. <laughs> okay. He was a quarterback, <laughs> I was the quarterback. Um, and that's that's pretty much where it ends. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> He was drafted by the Expos, and I was drafted by the Expos. There you go. There you so, go. You checked all the boxes. A lot, lot in common, other than uh, he was he was a little better quarterback than I was. Yeah. <laughs> How many rings did you did you get total in any level? It could be minor league championships as well. Minor league championships. I I only managed the four years, so went to the playoffs my last year, but I I didn't get any uh, minor league championships as a field coordinator. And a catching instructor, I was obviously involved with several, but but uh, you know, major league wise, I was the field coordinator in '97 when the when the Marlins won it. Okay, and then that counts. Uh, what's that? That counts. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the two with the Red Sox, I was field coordinator and All catching right. instructor in '04 uh, and '07. So okay. three really, rings, three rings, rakes up there. Yeah. Really blessed, very, <laughs> very blessed to have been with uh, with all these organizations. Um, yeah. But but primarily those those three years were were great years, and uh, uh, although I wasn't on the field competing, uh, we were you know we were doing our thing in player development to get get guys ready to help uh, help those uh, those Marlins and those those Red Sox to win win those three championships. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, I think Dave wants to jump in. Oh, I want you're talking about all these great names. I got one quick question on golf and I'm probably <laughs> missing the whole point by asking this, but who won that day? You know what? I, that's, that's something I can't remember. I, I think Willie got the best of Barry. I mean, I didn't win, uh, <laughs> but they had, we didn't, we didn't have any friendly wagers, if you will, because yeah. I, I don't bet. Um, <laughs> but no, he uh, so Willie got the best of Barry and then in the on the first 18 and then the second 18, uh, Barry got the best of Willie that day. Uh, Bobby, Bobby bowed out after the first round. Um, I think he was going fishing with some of his buddies, which was another one of his passions. Uh, but yeah, they, they kind of, I would say on the day they were probably even, but, uh, yeah. you know, Willie didn't hit it, hit it very far at that time, but he, he was right down the middle of the fairway uh, with, with any club he pulled out of his bag. He, he was incredible. You didn't happen to keep that scorecard in your back pocket. <laughs> didn't you walk away with it? 
I, you know what? I, I didn't. I ah. didn't. That, that, that's a failure I'm still trying to deal with, David. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up. My bad. I, uh, with, uh, you know, co- college, obviously, LSU is one of the most legendary baseball programs. It just never stops the engine there. And Joe had mentioned earlier, you played against Bo Jackson, my favorite athlete of all time. What was it like to catch a game? And what, what kind of, I guess, how did you pitch to Bo Jackson? What was your approach to him at Auburn when you played him? Well, we didn't pitch well enough because he basically beat us. The Back then in the SEC, uh, we played a two sevens on Saturday and then a nine-inning game on Sunday. So he, it was basically Bo Jackson – got the got the w in the first game uh uh we had we had a really good pitcher too eric hetzel who ended up getting some big league time with with the red sox but uh you know the outer half of the play a lot a lot of breaking balls because he did have a lot of swing and miss uh because you know he was a part-time player basically i mean he had track athlete obviously a heisman heisman trophy winner i mean this guy uh just so big and strong and quick and everything was fast and quick twitch. But basically we were going to try to, you know, try to uh, work the outer half of the plate, a lot of breaking balls. We did, uh, we did strike him out at least once that game on, on one of Hetzel's really good sliders, but uh, uh, two different at bats stuck out where he, uh, we threw him a really good slider and he, and, he took, he basically took it out of my glove and, and wrapped it around the, around the right field foul pole. And then another one, uh, we had, uh, Joey Bell or Albert Bell, as he refers now was playing, uh, uh, right field for us. And the ball was hit, uh, just to his right. And, and Bo, Bo hit this, it, it wasn't even a hard line drive, but it, it was semi hard line drive. Bell had to take maybe two and a half, three steps to it. And Bo never broke stride and did. He, he uh, hustled into second base, little pop up slide at second before uh, Albert Bell could uh, throw him out. So that that's the speed we were dealing with. Um, but he, he was just a presence as he got into the box. I didn't want to stand up next to him, so I stayed. I stayed down in my squat the whole time because this guy would have made me look like I was uh, back in farm league, uh, you know, standing next to him. So I stayed down in my squat the whole time. And uh, uh, but he, so so the one that sticks out after he hit that double, uh, uh, it was either next hitter or the hitter after, but hits a single to right field. So now I know that there's a possible tag play at the plate, and this is. I know, I know I've told Jacob the story. I've told our pro scouting department the story. And, uh, so base hit, base hit to right line drive, hard line drive. Bell comes up throwing. I've obviously at some point I have to take my eye off the runner, um, which isn't going to be very long because Bo's going to get to me pretty quick and get to home plate pretty quick. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I take my eyes off him. I could feel him coming down, coming down the line, take my eye off. I catch the ball. I turn to tag, and he's already popped up by me. He, I, and I back in those days, of course, you could block the plate. So I'm blocking the plate, knowing that. I, I mean, I, I may not be alive to catch the next inning or the next pitch. Uh, and and he, so he he does his he does his little slide across home and uh, and just a sense of relief, even though we gave up a run, it was the relief that, you know, I'm not waking up in a hospital. Uh, uh, just so you're like, he, where is he? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you're like, where is he? He is already behind you. Yeah. He, he, as I turned the tag, he, I couldn't even get his head. He slid feet first and, and, and I'm like, Oh, thank God. And Oh damn, we just gave up a run. And I was like, ah, that's all right. We'll, we'll score some runs. But, yeah. uh, you can always get that run back. You can't. Yeah. Can. So he, he comes up as next at bat. And of course I'm down in the squat and, uh, and he, as he's digging in, I said, Hey, Hey, Bo, thanks, man. And he says, what, what are you talking about? And I said, I said, I'm just glad to be back here after, after that run you scored a couple innings ago. I said, you, you could have killed me there blocking the plate and, you know, I don't know Bo Jackson, but uh, 
it, it was it was funny because I I look at, up at him as I'm saying this, and he just he has this little he had this little giggle, and he says you're you're good or something like that. <laughs> it was almost like he felt sorry for me. It was almost like hey, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. You know, it's almost that reminds me a little bit, Rob. I was when Giancarlo Stanton was it was in, a kid, you know, and I I asked him and I said, "Gee, I mean, what were you like, like in like little league and stuff or high school?" He was like, "I couldn't take out, a, I couldn't slide hard in the second, I couldn't take anybody out." Like he literally had to give himself up because they're they were like, "Look, you you could do real damage to this high school kid. You can't slide hard, you know." And he had to kind of live with that. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a terrible burden for guys like them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, when you're thirteen, you're twelve, thirteen years old, and you you can't play the game hard because you might just knock the field over. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I mean, and like I say, I don't know Bo. I've I've I know people that have played uh, on teams with him, and and that do know him, and they just say heart of gold and a tremendous person, and. Uh, and I know Giancarlo's the same way, having coached him those those few years there with the Marlins. Uh, just a great guy, and I and I could I could definitely see both of them. Well, Bo took mercy on me, and I could see uh, Giancarlo doing that when he was growing up, because um, they're good good people before they're great players. You know, before before we get out of here, and we could talk to Rob all day, and this this time is just flying by but i did want to address this man uh someone who's very dear to, to rob and and went to sarah also gary hughes the late great gary hughes his son of course rock hughes works still for the marlins um just you know a, a legendary baseball scout and and you know was with the diamondbacks at his passing uh just talk about gary's legacy and for all and what he meant to the scouting industry well for, first of all i've known <laughs> Of course, I'm a little, a little touch, touched up right now, but because this is this is one of a a few men outside of my family that are the best people that I've been around in my life. Uh, not just baseball, but Gary was a huge part of my life. But uh, um, you know, he drafted me with the Expos, but he was one of those scouts out there watching Barry Bonds <laughs> and and others. But uh, it's just a really special person, um, a tremendous scout. I mean, all the years, so I got drafted by the Expos and I got to play, I played with many all-stars, a couple Hall of Famers that Gary drafted. Uh, but just just a special, special person. And I know, I know I'm still in the game. He brought me into the game by drafting me. But Gary Hughes, there's another man named John Bowles. Uh, that farm director that hired me for my first coaching position that are two of the best people that I know in my life and, and certainly the top two in my baseball life. And Skip Bertman's there, John Nochi as, as two tremendous college coaches, but Gary, Gary's left a great legacy on, on the game. And he, he, he was really a guy that touched every person one way or another, if, if you just got to meet him, because whatever conversation uh, he may have been in prior to, your conversation was the most, the one you were having with him at, at any moment was the most important conversation that he could have. And uh, at, at the end of my illustrious pro professional playing career, I know that he was one of two people that recommend, recommended uh, me for a coaching or, or a staff position. And uh, he was just such a special guy, obviously a tremendous scout. He loved the two-sport or multi-sport player, I'll, I'll say. He drafted John Elway. He drafted John with the Yankees, uh, Mike Aldretti, John Lynch uh, uh, out of Stanford, and, and so many others, Delino DeShields, and, and just so many of them. Um, but he was just he, he was just a special person. He he believed uh, in every player he drafted. And, you know, uh, you know, we lost a great man a, a couple of years ago. But but uh, he, he lives within all of us. Uh, great, great family man as well. Uh, um, 
His other son, uh, Sam, is a scout uh, with the Yankees uh, and has been scouting forever. And I've known Sam and Rock for, shoot, 30 years or mo- actually more. Um, but just a great person, uh, excellent scout. He was a good leader of men, too, in those scouting departments um, uh, because so many of his of his guys are still in the game in leadership positions or just in classic scouting roles. And we, we were lucky with the Diamondbacks that uh, that was Gary's last stop. Um, and he took the time with all of us. Uh, you know, obviously he and I had had this real special bond, but I know Jacob's probably shared with you uh with you, Joe, some of the stories and some of the things that he, you know, discussed with Gary and some of the things he, he learned from Gary and Gary really took the time with everybody in our pro scouting department, uh, to make us a better department, uh, day by day. And, and with the, the conversations that we had, the time we spent together, um, uh, just a special, special person and someone that, uh, that will, will all, uh, continue to, I, I always keep in mind, you know, how, how would Gary do this? What would Gary think of this? And how would he see this guy? So uh, just a real special person, someone that I dearly miss, but uh, he's, he's still with me every step. No, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, given that insight and yeah, to Jacob, he, it meant a lot, even though, you know, it's a year one or two or Jacob and the, you know, with the Diamondbacks at the time to, to spend that time, was highly valuable for him. And, and I know he cherished all that and, and, and we cherish, uh, you know, the memories of Gary. And like I said, we've, I've known rock his son forever, you know, being with the Marlins. And, and one of the things we do on this show, we, you know, we will, we will remind everybody of these great legends in, in the sport and, um, and what a great podcast, Rob, Rob Leary. And we really appreciate your time running a little bit longer than we normally do, but I think it's really worth it. We're going to bring Dave in for any last questions and, and announcements. Yeah, we, well, I'll tell you what, we have to have you back, Rob, because I, I want to do a whole show just on catching. I think you can offer some great insight. We've got a lot of catchers that are in our audience, and I think it may be the most overcoached and undertaught position right now uh, coming up the line. So I value our our catching guests here. But I'm going to ask you one catching question then kind of lead off though it's 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 becoming very in vogue right now to do the one knee catching um it's it's the major league guys you get guys like real muto can do it he's a whole different animal but it's trickling down to the grassroots level right now could, could you give uh, you know in your way the pros and cons of that right now and what's your your preference as a as a former catcher and a catching coach yeah i i i will say i'm i'm overall and, and fundamentally, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I did catch it at times uh, with nobody on base and less than two strikes. I, I would go to a knee at times, especially when a pitcher needed a good low target. But uh, I think it takes a special, uh, the, the real athletic, quick catcher to be able to do it effectively, especially when you're talking about with men on base or two strikes on a hitter. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's taught really well based on what I've seen uh, in the minor leagues and even in youth baseball, uh, amateur baseball. I saw my you know son, uh, he wasn't a catcher, he was a middle infielder, but I saw him play through the junior college level. And I don't think it's taught properly, but I, I don't agree with it. In general, I don't agree with it with runners on base and uh in two strike situations uh, where you got to block a ball, especially when you're asking pitchers to, to bury breaking balls. Um, but the Yadier Molina, Rio Mudo is a supreme athlete, so he can do it. But that being said, with, with the velocities these guys are throwing with um, in, in the minor leagues and major leagues, I'll just talk about those two levels. Uh Guys just aren't good enough to to be able to react uh, to the misfires, and I don't believe. And I know there's there's arguments to be made on the analytic side about giving up 90 feet and this, that, and the other thing. But I've I've seen that last 90 feet between third base and home plate be given up 
many, many times in these six plus years scouting, including advanced scouting with the Diamondbacks. And I just don't see catchers being as effective uh, preventing 90 feet, um, giving up 90 feet, especially with with balls in the dirt. But also uh, on the one knee, you're locked into a position, so you're not going to be able to receive the ball and give the umpire the best look possible. Uh, when a ball's not thrown uh, in in the area you're set up. So when you have to move that glove left and right, you, you get locked out and, you, and you're not able to uh, not able to present the ball as well as you should to the to the umpire. But um, so I'm I'm more the, the classic traditional stance guy. I see some guys that can handle it, but again with, with these high velocities that we're seeing, um, and command, in my opinion, isn't what it used to be overall in the game. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't trust that most of these catchers are going to be able to prevent the next 90 feet and to present the ball well uh, to the umpire consistently. Yeah, no, I, I like that answer. I, and you, you mentioned, sorry, I lied. I said one question. I was, you, you brought up a good point about presenting to the umpire people forget that's the guy that's in charge back there, that he has to have a good visual of that ball coming across the plate. What What are your thoughts on, again, it's a new, I guess it's newer, where you got catchers working from the ground up with the glove and not giving a target to the pitchers and almost trying to steal strikes in that regard. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, the game's been played for a long, long time. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know the exact years, but let's just say 150 or so. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen a lot of good catchers in, in 37 years uh, in the on the professional side. And I, 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 I see some guys that are better than others. I, again, I think it goes back to the guys that are that are higher skilled with with their hands. They may not even be the best athletes. Uh, like a real Mudo and some of these other guys that are catching right now. But, uh, but I, I, I'm still the guy that I, I want quiet back there. I want, I want the glove in the eyes to go to the ball basically. And, and I don't think, I mean, the, the thing with the no target, I, I think that comes to me, some pitchers need it, others don't. And that's where obviously catchers have to be best friends with pitching coaches as well as pitchers and working with those pitchers. Um, But with certain guys that do need a target and do need a visual, I think that uh, that that down to up could could affect them in some of their control and command of pitches. Uh, I think it's an individual type thing as far as as far as the target. At the foundation levels, I like we talked earlier. We talk about grassroots, the little league and high schools, and and even colleges. I think I think giving giving guys a proper foundation, and then seeing what they can handle, which each catcher can handle, um, and what how you can, you know, whether you want to work down to up. Uh, you know, it's not something that we taught taught in our day and even going back to 2012 uh, or 13, 14, and 15, when I was with the Marlins, I didn't teach it. We had a great catcher, Jeff Mathis, uh, who sat behind home plate and he was quiet to the ball. He held it and he was still able to manipulate the strike zone, bringing, bringing the ball back in, you know, off the plate or, uh, or presenting it well when it was at the low part of the plate with minimal movement and still got a ton of strikes, uh, was among top pitch framers, uh, if you will. So I, I think it's a real, it, it needs to be taught more specifically with each catcher because not all catchers are able to, to perform the necessary skills and they don't, they don't have the talent, the quickness, uh, or the feel for it, and I, I don't think it should be a system-wide thing that that is taught, in yeah. my opinion. And it's it kind of goes across the, the the landscape of grassroots to to MLB. These young kids now are th- these trainers. I'll, I'll use that in quotes. I'm doing air quotes on an audio show. But, <laughs> uh, these trainers are training these young kids are trying to just like 
they see at the pro level. And as you said so eloquently, these kids aren't ready for that yet. They need to do things the right way first. And then based on talents and skills and how they grow and get stronger, then evolve into, into what's the next uh, phase for their game. So no, I, I tell you what, I, uh, Joe, great guest and Rob, tremendous job. I think baseball IQs got better today, including my own, um, which is, that's my favorite part of the show. I feel like I get smarter each show we do. And I appreciate you providing that for us today, Rob and, and Joe and Joe, I'll give a message to our, our listeners and then you can close us out. Absolutely. So, yeah. So just kind of reminder, I mean, just got done saying it. We're, our whole mission here is to raise the baseball IQs across the globe uh, to our 15,600 subscribers, uh, grassroots to MLB front offices, 72 countries. I just got notification. We did get Israel today, Joe. So there we go. 72. I didn't even know there were 72 countries, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> So continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, whatever your streaming apparatus is, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you got a new one, let me know. I'll apply to that one as well. Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter, we will engage. I got my question of the day out there. I'll answer the other 199 that came in, Joe, for today. I'll get those later on today make sure everybody gets it back. But um, with that, we just we appreciate all the support keep giving us to us, and we'll keep providing you with great content each week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dave. And once again, thanks, Rob Leary. Rob's a great guest. We're going to have him on back when we can. I know his, he's about to get really busy. That's the thing. You got to get these scouts early before they really get really busy. And we enjoy talking to him. Rob, tremendous information. Thanks again, buddy. Uh, Dave, thank you for all you do for the for the network and everything. We're growing this. And um, and that's our mission. We're, we're having a lot of fun with this. And uh, we're just going to keep grinding it out and, and do our thing and tell these stories and, and let our listeners understand and that, you know, this sport is thriving and has thrived and will thrive again with proper direction. And with that, I'm Joe Fursaro, Man on Second, and we are out of here. Mm-hmm.